Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, 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 we are going to continue with what we are looking at last week. And uh, if you do remember, last week we were thinking about this very funny feeling of being stuck in the mud. You're moving, you're trading the mud, but you're not going anywhere. You feel that you're stuck in this mud. And we're going to continue from that tonight. And tonight we're asking the question, is there a man that is truly, that is truly devoted to God? Why do we bring that up? Why do we ask that question all of a sudden, all over again? Is there a man that is truly devoted to God? One of the things we found out last uh, uh, on Wednesday is that uh, as you begin to combat this funny feeling of being stuck in the mud, you begin to understand that one of the things that causes it is the sin of comparison. And as we were looking at that, we discovered that the greatest commandment as restated by Christ, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, is actually commanding us to be devoted to God. Love him with everything that we have. But the question we are asking tonight, is there a man that is truly devoted um, to God? And so tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be looking at that question. We're going to answer that question. But before we can continue, Lucy, could you please kindly share us? What do you understand by the word devoted? What do you understand by the word devoted? Is it the same word as loyal? Are they the same thing? Are they the same thing? Okay, so from my extensive study, I visited libraries all around the world to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Just kidding. Well, seriously, folks. Now, loyal and devout are often used interchangeably. So, loyal means constant, faithful, resolute, mm-hmm. staunch, and steadfast. Devout mm-hmm means loyal to something so you see the word comes into other words so someone who's devout is loyal they're interchangeable in friendship a loyal friend is simply someone who always has your back and tries their best never to let you down Mm. how is that for a definition david that's awesome that is awesome and i know young people like to refer to their very close friends as loyal friends loyal friends let me ask a question you can answer this in the chat or you can call in and just share with us a scenario that may be true to you or true to someone else that you know how does a loyal or devoted friend look like how does a loyal or devoted friend look like what is your experience with friendship what is your experience with friendship listeners please go ahead and answer that question how does a loyal or devoted friend look like how does a loyal or devoted friend look like do you have a loyal friend do you have a devoted friend how do they look like can you can you describe them for us can you describe them for us that's going to be the discussion question tonight please go ahead and write the answer uh, that you have or something that you're thinking about in the chat right now and we'll be able to read it for everyone else that will be listening or else you can call in and just say you know what let me just share with you what a loyal friend looks like let me just share with you what a loyal friend looks like ladies and gentlemen what does how does a loyal friend look like how does a loyal friend looks like god only knows what you're going through is a track that is playing as you're waiting for your answers how does a loyal friend look like Wide awake while the world is sound asleep and Too afraid of what might show up while you're dreaming Nobody, nobody, nobody sees you Nobody, nobody will believe you And every day you try to pick up all the pieces All the memories they somehow never leave you Nobody, nobody, nobody sees you Nobody, nobody will believe you 
We've got some answers coming in right now. <laughs> Yona <Yeah>. says <laughs> that a loyal friend looks like fortunate. Yona, you need to get saved, but you're right. You're right. A loyal friend is really one that uh, looks like uh, your, I was going to say your management, but your fortunate partner. Fortunate has no choice. Fortunate has no choice. Fortunate has no choice. And... Uh, uh, it's someone else here said when they always have got your back no matter my failures or achievements and that is Frank Frankie yeah. thank you so much that is Luther Frank mm-hmm. thank you so much for sharing that when they always have your back no matter what your failures look like no matter what your achievements look like Lucy yeah Edward also says I guess loyal friends are available uh, steadfast and real not fake not seasonal not some people I know. Edward, you still have beef. Hmm? You kill people. But yeah, that's true. Not fake and not seasonal. They're always constant. Yes, Yona, you're live yes, on the show. Yona, Yona welcome. Uh, uh, so, explaining a loyal friend. I have two guys who are really um, self, as in they can describe what a loyal friend is. One is, I felt it before my wedding. This guy didn't even ask for his support because I knew he was broke and he could not support me in any But he had he actually the amount of money that he gave me, I was even shocked and surprised that actually he could do that. Because for him he he felt it it was his responsibility as a friend to support me on my wedding day. So for me I saw a loyal friend. Yet I had friends where I asked for support and they were like no, I don't have, or they're having... Uh, some are just giving ex- excuse. Some you could see, actually, mm. they don't mm. have, but others are just giving excuse. Mm. But this guy didn't ask because I knew he was broke, and yet he supported me. So wow. I just used that one. So for me, that's a loyal friend. Anybody else? Let's see. Ella, Ella Chiravo says, friends who tell you the bitter truth and still love you. Can you share the truth in love as a friend? For Ella, that is what a loyal friend is. Tells you the bitter truth and still loves you. That's true. Amen. That is true. Amen. A loyal friend will always be honest. Yes, David. You know, going back to Yona's, Yona's uh, example, usually when we're growing up in primary school, we attach loyal friends to how much they're able, how much grab they're able to give you. And uh, if you can share with them your grub and stuff like that, and, and, and somehow it can grow up with you, that kind of attitude where you think in friendship you are there to get, to get, not to give. And so I think in a friendship that is loyal or a friend that is loyal is one who is in a relationship not to get, but to find out how much can I be able to give, how much can I give. And right now, we're going to read our passage together. We're going to read our passage together. And so if you have your Bibles all open, kindly open them to the book of 
the book of Mark chapter 10. Book of Mark chapter 10. We're going to read that and then I'll play for you a song after which I'll share something small from God's word and then uh, we'll, we'll discuss it together. We'll discuss it together. Think about this passage as I read for you. Mark chapter 10 from verse 17. Mark 10, 17. It says, Now, as he was going out to the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do? What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witnesses, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he said at this, but his, sorry, but he was sad at this, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. For he had great possessions. Listen to this song. Clear the stage. Clear the stage as we get ready to get into our discussion for tonight. Clear the stage and set the sound and the lights ablaze. If that's the measure you must take to cross the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations too Until the congregation's fueling half revival Tell your friends that this is where the party ends Until you're broken for your sins You can't be social Seek the Lord and wait for what He has in store And know that great is your reward So just be hopeful Cause you can sing all you want to Yes, you can sing all you want to You can sing all you want to And still get it wrong Oh, worship is more than a song Take a break from all the plans that you have made And sit at home alone and wait for God to whisper Beg him please to open up his mouth and speak And pray for real upon your knees until they blister Shine a light on every corner of your life Until the pride and lust and lies are in the open Then read the word and put to test the things you've heard Till your heart and soul are stirred and rocked and broken Cause you can sing all you want to Yes, you can sing all you want to You can sing all you want to and still get it wrong Oh, worship 
All right. The question we are answering tonight, ladies and gentlemen, is, is there a man that is truly devoted? And I'm picking that from a piece that I shared um, on Wednesday, earlier on this week. And I ended with this command as Christ quoted it. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, it's interesting, uh, even from the passage I just read for us um, a few minutes ago, from Mark chapter 10, in verse uh, 17 to 22, those who have just joined us, that is the passage that describes the young man we don't know his name, but he's been referred to as the rich, young ruler. And I think for each of those words in his title, there is meaning. He was rich, he was young, and he had authority. He had the money. I think he still had a lot of life ahead of him and uh, because of his age, though today we do not know, not based on age because anyone can die. But he's known as a rich, young ruler. He had wealth, but also he had uh, status in terms of authority. Uh, no wonder he's known as the rich young ruler. And Christ presents with him some very difficult things uh, to deal with. First, he approaches Christ and asks him the one thing that I must do, the one thing that I must do. And I think he, he was hoping that Christ would present, with, present him just one thing he must do uh, to, 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 to have eternal life. And Christ looks at him being wise, being loving, and we're going to see that from the passage. He takes him through a trip that eventually he begins to realize 
that he needs something. There's something that he's lacking. There's something that he's lacking. And we're going to see that. Now, as he was going on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. Only God is good. And so from the beginning of this particular story, you begin to realize that this man, for some reason, somehow it was revealed to him that he is talking to God himself. Or Christ is telling him, either what you're saying is not true, that I am good, or I am not God, because only God is good. And so in a way he's telling him that you're talking to God. You're talking to God. You're talking to Christ. You're talking to God uh, himself. And uh, he asks him the question, why do you say that? Why do you say only God is good? But to answer his questions, he tells him, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And from one thing I've learned about the, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the commandments in the Old Testament, their role is to show us the true state of our hearts. And Christ presents that to him to show him the true state of his heart, to show him the need for the God that he has just identified in the person of Christ. He says, do these things. But why? Because he, he's probing his heart. He's trying to probe his heart to help him search deeper into his heart, to help, me, help him identify the actual need or the state of his heart. And soon they're going to discover that it is not in the commandments or in the fulfillment of the commandments. And he answered and said, and he answered and said, what did he say? He answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. But look at the response here that Christ gives. He said, then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. He looked at him and loved him. And the term for looking at this man is, is not merely just glancing at him. It is this, the straight look of, I actually know the state of your heart. I know what is in your heart. Everyone else can be deceived, but I cannot be deceived. That's the kind of look that is being talked about here. He's saying, I've done everything. What if I've done all? And Christ looks at him and he, he loves him. And, and it's amazing that Christ, knowing the state of our hearts, knowing how we struggle with things and desires, he is still gracious. And I think it is clear from here that we see not the fulfillment of the law, but we see the graciousness of God, even as this young man tries to find one thing from the question that he's asking, what can I do to receive eternal life? I think it's clear from here that Christ is loving. It's clear that Christ knows the state of our heart. So he looks at him like he knew everything the young man was thinking and tells him, you lack one thing. One thing you lack. You lack one thing. And in stating this one thing, you're going to see an explosion, literally, for one to be able to see that what? I cannot believe this has always been the state of my heart. When he tells him, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. Now, when we're starting with this passage, you can easily be sidetracked by the common title given to this man, the rich young ruler, because you begin to think of money you begin to think of the commandments. You begin to think straight away your mind is taken to focus on these things. Even at the passage after this, when he tells them, truly, truly, 
it, it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of needle than which man to enter into heaven. Quickly, we can be sidelined by these things. But look closely. Look closely. He's telling him, go sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. But the last part there, he says, and come. What does he say? Take up the cross. Now, if you have your Bible, you should be putting question marks right there. Why would Christ be bringing up the cross at this point in his life and he hasn't even died? Why is he bringing it up and he hasn't even died? He's not explained what a cross is about in bringing salvation. He said, take up the cross and follow me. All right, we know that before also he has warned those who are following him uh, for bread. He says, stop. He who must come after me must deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. And he's bringing it up here, take up the cross, and follow me. And the cross is not what we know today as something that we wear on our golden necklaces. And it's fancy, we decorate sometimes with it. I think the cross, as you know, is one that was gruesome. The Bible says actually Christ was distressed almost to the point of death. In other words, sorrow was almost killing him by the thought of the fact that he's going to die on the cross. But he's told him, one thing you lack, one thing you lack, and we're going to see what this is. He says, sell what you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me, come and follow me. Now, in my quiet time diary, I wrote something here, and I said, sell what you have, give it to the poor and follow me. But I highlighted the word sell, I highlighted the word you, and I highlighted the word follow me. And then I read the highlights, and it sounded funny. It's not what he's saying, but it sounded funny. It says, sell you and follow me. And I think it made some sense, because if you think of this man, the way he was described, the rich young ruler, that was his title. That is how, in reading the passage, we can be able to identify him, the rich young ruler. And if he had sold everything, given it to the poor, I think his title would have changed. And I think in Christ telling him, sell what you have, it was he, the definition of him, him, the man, that young man, defined himself with those things. That's what he was known. The instance here is, you stop being you, and you follow me, and you follow me. That's the devotion that we are trying to describe, that we are trying to define, and we're trying to ask the question, is there a man who is truly devoted to God? To the point that that man will cease to exist and have God rule in his heart as God alone. Is there a man that is truly devoted? When the psalmist says in Psalm 42, as a deer pants for the soul, my soul pants for you. Is that what describes us truly? Are there other things? Are there other things? I think that's a question we need to answer. Are there other things? Bring this. And take it to the poor. But look at how this passage ends. He says, but he was sad at this word. And he went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possession. And at that point, right there, this young man got his riches and he put them between him and self and God. He put his riches between himself and God. And he said, you know what? It is sad that I have to lose everything. He walked away sad. Now, we'll never know if he ever sold his riches. We never know 
if he ever got rid of all those things and turned to God, we do not know. But at that point, at least for the tax collector, we know that the guy went, he invited Christ to his house, he said, you know what, all of this money that I've taken from them, I'm giving it back. So we see action to some other men that were convicted at the words of Christ and turned around immediately. But we also see one described as sad, sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possession. Question is, is there a man that is truly devoted to God? This that we're talking about, the riches, this that we're talking about, is really status, we're talking about power, we're talking about influence, we're talking about a peace of mind that sometimes we put in our bank account. We are talking about happiness that we want to enjoy. We are talking about everything that we are. Is everything that we are worthless when it's put before God? Is everything that we are worthless when it's put before God? I think I love the song it says, everything we put before God is an idol. And tonight, I would like us to just search our hearts, ladies and gentlemen, mine included, and ask the question, is there anything right now that I have placed that is more important than God? It could be a relationship. It could be a possession. It could be a situation that is going on in our lives. And I'm trying to come up with topics of what we'll be covering every day. I mean, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday in our devotions. And one of them that we just came up with tonight is fear. Is it, is it a situation? What is it? What is it? Is it a fear of men? And we'll talk about this on Monday. Is it the fear of men? What is it that we've put between us and God that causes us to get that funny feeling we're describing on Wednesday of being stuck in the mud. You, you want to continue, you want to move on, but it don't seem like you can. Is it my appearance? I shared with you that particular post that a, a lady shared on Facebook where she was saying she was, she was, she was depressed because of her weight, how she looked like. Is, is it, what is it? What is it? What is it that we've placed before God? What is it that we've placed before God? Because if there's anything that we've placed before God, that is an idol. That is an idol. And in answering the question, is there a man that is fully devoted to God? I think we'll answer that question with another question. And the question that answers that question is, what is keeping you from being fully devoted to God? I think that's the actual question that is going to answer the question. Is there a man that is fully devoted to God? Yeah, I was just thinking about... Um... Does taking up the cross to follow Christ mean it's more, it's of more value to God for us to look to him, have him as our all in all, rather than all the other things that we seem to derive our identity from. For example, um, like many of us on social media, Facebook, I have shared with my friends a lot of times that I get panic attacks just from looking at people I know on Facebook. The pictures, people are looking fabulous. They're, what? They're succeeding in all sorts of things. They're being creative, entrepreneurship, what, what business. Hey, and I panic and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? But then... Oftentimes, it's my husband that tells me, Lucy, who are you? Who are you? And what has God called you to be? 
because my temptation is to map my life and try to find derive my identity from what others will approve of. Am I going to I compare myself with others, which then puts me in a false place. And I think mm. um, what you have illustrated here from the passage is is a good wake up call that no, it's the cross. The cross is my identity. It's not who, it's not who everybody else is, it's not what the world is chasing today. It's who God has called me to be.